right, so we're in this series called Financial Peace on Earth. And the whole series flows from a heart of wanting to help people who I think during this time of year become extra sensitive to some pain that's really there all year long, but it just kind of feels like it surfaces more during the holidays. And so I want to try to speak to that over this few weeks that we're together. I want to help people in that area where they're hurting, especially in our just our current culture and the way our country works. And I believe one of the places people are hurting really badly is in the area of finances. It's in the area of money. I shared a statistic with you last week that the average American family this year will spend 136% of their income. For those of you that aren't very good at math, like me, that's not good. You don't want to do that. That means you're going into debt. You don't want to live your life in debt. In fact, the Bible is very clear that debt is not a good thing. God is not for it. All right, so we want to try to help people find some peace in the area of finances during this series. And, and here's what I, I want to remind you about. This is not a series about the nuts and bolts of getting your finances straightened out. Recovery takes time, but peace can happen immediately if we get our hearts right, we get our hearts set on the right thing. However, we do have some opportunities for you in our church. If you need some help with the recovery process and you just you get to the end of the month and the checkbook's not working out and, and you're dealing with negative numbers more often than you'd like, I want you to be aware of some things that we do on a regular basis that will help you, that you can be a part of. One of them is small groups. We'll launch a new small group semester at the end of January. And uh, I guarantee you there will be at least one small group that deals with the area of finances. It could be financial peace. Last semester we had uh, Len and Dawn. Len is one of the trustees for our church and a, and, a, and a businessman who did an entire small group on how to live a blessed life and handle your finances the right way, how to handle them God's way. Beyond that, we, we have some other things. We just added to our team Jeff Brownlee, who's right down front. Jeff, wave at everybody. There's Jeff. Give Jeff a hand. Yep. And, and Jeff, is he's just gifted with numbers. Some people aren't. That's me. Some people are. And uh, he's just gifted in that way. And, and um, a really cool story. Jeff came to me a couple months ago, and we sat down, and we had coffee. And, and basically, the conversation lasted a while, but the summary of it was this. I'm going to step away from a job because God's positioned my family where I can step away from that job. I'm not sure of all the details yet but I know I'm supposed to help people. And, and one of the things we talked about was the need and the pain that people feel in the area of finances. So there have been several people already that I've said, they come to me and they go, I just can't figure it out. My finances are falling apart. And I say, you need to call Jeff. Let him sit down with you. He'll, he'll help you tear through the books, make heads and tails of it, give you some advice. And so if you are, lo- even some of you students, I would strongly encourage you, sit down with Jeff uh, or even Lynn, Lynn is in the back somewhere, Lynn, wave, yell, make a noise, something, he's right there. These guys are gifted in the area of money and finance. If maybe you're thinking about running your own business, don't just go out there and do it on your own. You need mentors, you need people that speak into your life. And so if you need recovery, we're not going to talk about recovery today, but if you need recovery, get with these guys. Buy, buy them a cup of coffee, don't buy them a cup of coffee with a credit card, if that's the whole reason you're getting together, but buy them a cup of coffee Sit down and, and, uh, and, you know, finance is one of the areas where pride just gets in the way. We don't, anybody, it's one of those areas where we don't really want anybody to know what's going on behind the scenes. And I just think that's so wrong. 
Um, it's like any other area of our life where it's okay. It's okay to have accountability. It's okay to have transparency. And, and so you, sometimes we just need to sit down with somebody and say, look, this is where I'm at. It, it feels like a mess. Is it a mess? Yes, it's a mess. Okay, how do I undo that? And, and these guys will help you. So those the opportunities for recovery, we do want to be a part of that with you. But that's not what today's about. This series is about getting peace. And I really think that can happen right now. The external takes time. The internal can change immediately. And it always begins with the heart. If you weren't here last week, I suggest you go listen to the message. We talked about getting our hearts set on the right things. We talked about getting our hearts set on giving rather than getting. We talked about getting our hearts set on true riches, and that's people, making an investment in people. We talked about getting our hearts set on heaven, on the eternal, and not on the temporary. Today I'm going to talk to you about some principles that you can put into your life that will position you to live in peace. And the next week is really, really important. I do not want you to miss next week if you, if you can. Because with all the craziness happening in our country, and uh, we talked about last week that our country is borrowing f- over $4 billion a day just to maintain status quo, just to keep things running the way they, they are. And I just, you talk to anybody who knows numbers and it's simple math, that's not sustainable forever. And so what next week is really about is what do the people of God do if this thing someday kind of crashes and burns? What if this recovery we're in isn't really as much of a recovery as we'd like it to be? What if we don't ever get our economy back to the level? I'm not saying, I'm not speaking to you prophetically. I'm not saying that that is going to happen. But I do think we have a responsibility as people of God to be prepared if that does happen. And so what I'm going to talk to you about next week is peace no matter what. How you can have peace in your heart through your relationship with Christ no matter what happens. And I'm really going to speak from, I'm uniquely qualified because my family went through a financial nightmare uh, several years ago when we lived in Florida, built a house at the peak of the housing boom, had it all kind of come crashing down, um, went through some stuff that was really painful that I wish we hadn't had to go through, but we learned some lessons the hard way. But in the midst of all that, I found that I can have peace no matter what. And so I'm just going to talk, talk through that with you next week. It's going to be really, really important. But let's get into what today is about. I want to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And I'm actually going to piggyback off of a message that I shared with you last year during the holidays and use this exact same scripture, and we're going to build off of that. Let me give you a little bit of a refresher from that first. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Come on, those are all good things, aren't they? And then the last one here, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. And last year at Christmas time, we unpacked this scripture a bit, and I just want to revisit it real quickly for those of you who didn't get to be a part of that. When we, in the English translation, we have the words Prince of Peace. Peace. When we look at the Hebrew, the Hebrew language is different. We can drop the word of. So there's actually just two words for Prince of Peace. And they're, they're this, Sar, S-A-R. And the other one is Shalom. All right, everybody look at your neighbor say, Sar, Sar, all right. And, uh, and then the other one is Shalom. All right, so there you go. Now you speak Hebrew. Good job. Congratulations. You're really smart. All right, here's, here's what Sar means. If you're taking notes, it's, you can fill in the blanks here. Sar means the one in charge. In fact, this word actually evolved into the word czar. All right, that's where we get the word czar. 
So the one in charge, Lord, Chief, General, he's the one in charge. And I think it's important that we talk about that for a second because in, in our world, I think the word prince, we, we kind of perceive what a prince is incorrectly thanks to Disney, <laughs> all right? So we, we, think, we think princes are these guys that ride in and sweep girls off their feet and, you know, I can show you the world, <laughs> shining, shimmering, splendor. Somebody sing it with me. That makes me a little nervous. All right. (laughs) We have counseling for that too. All right. That was Aladdin. He wasn't even a prince, but I was just had to come up with something to make you laugh there. So the the one at Sar, the one in charge, Lord, Chief, he was. He was Prince Ali. All right. Mighty is he, Ali Ababa. Yeah. Prince Ali, mighty is he. (laughs) You dared me. All right. So he's the one in charge, the Lord, the chief, the general, and and, and not this guy from Disney cartoons. He's the Lord. He's the one in charge. And then shalom, you guys are familiar with this word. It means rest, tranquility, wholeness, completeness, contentment. And so when we see these words, Prince, this is a prophecy in Isaiah about the birth of Jesus Christ. When we see these words, Prince of Peace, the correct way to interpret that is the general, the Lord, the one in charge of peace. The one who can bring peace. And so it would just seem to reason that if you and I want peace in our lives, especially in the area of finances and money, what we ought to do is go to the Prince, the Lord of Peace, and find out what it would take for him to bring peace into that area of our lives. Come on, you with me? I mean, it would just seem to reason, it would seem to make sense that in an area of my life, that if I want peace, that I would bring the one who's in charge of all peace and invite him into that area of my life and find out what it takes to have his peace there. In fact, I don't think you can even separate peace from the Lord. I think the two are forever connected. Let me show you a few scriptures that support that. Romans 5.1, therefore, and I'm going to need your help here, so when I pause, you yell the word out that's in the scripture. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done. You see, peace and Lord, they go together. Psalm 4.8, in, in, In peace, I'll lie down and sleep for you alone, oh, will keep me safe. Ready? Is it working now? Here's the next one. Psalm 29, 11. The gives his people strength. The blesses them with peace. All right, so y'all sound so Pentecostal this morning shouting stuff out. We're about to throw down. You better get your hankies ready. All right. Somebody get me an organ up here. <laughs> Lord and peace, they're, they're forever connected. So, so here's the question. What does this whole idea of lordship look like? What does that mean? And it's actually very simple. It means he calls the shots. 
In other words, if I want peace in any area of my life, and today we're talking about finances, so if I want to have peace in the area of finances in my life, what I've got to do is position myself where I look to God and say, God, my money is not my money, it's your money. My stuff is not, not my stuff, it's your stuff. I submit it all to you, and you are Lord over all of it, so God, you tell me what to do with it. You tell me how to handle it. And if we can get ourselves living in that place, I'm telling you, we can find peace in our finances. Come on, somebody. Don't you want to be there? Don't you want to not have to stress out and freak out whenever it's time to pay the bills? Following Christ, I, I, think, I think sometimes we get it mixed up because following Christ is not a philosophy or a belief system. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. I think some of us even misunderstand what happens when, at salvation and what salvation is really all about. Salvation is simply this. It's having established the relationship with the Lord. Getting into the relationship with the Lord. And then from there we move on and we live our life with him as Lord. See, I think far too many of us, we give our hearts to Christ, and that's an important moment. I'm not trying to downplay that. That's the most important moment in your life is when you establish the relationship with the Lord. And so we do things like, all right, I'm good. I'm on my way to heaven. I've got my ticket punched. Now I'm just going to go on and live my life exactly the way I see fit. And then somewhere down the road, as we live our life however we want it, instead of submitting to him as Lord, we get frustrated because peace is missing. And we get frustrated because in the area of finances, we don't have any peace. And can I just tell you, this is a common sense deal. It really is, church. It's really, really simple. If you want peace in the area of finances, you've got to submit it all to him. You've got to let it go, man. You can't be in control of everything. You can't call the shots on everything. You've got to put yourself in a position where you are submitted to the Lord of the universe and you let him call the shots with our finances. And I think far too many of us, we go, thanks for the salvation, Jesus. I love, I lo I'm thankful. I'll even lift my hands on Sundays. Emmanuel. Oh, that feels so good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Okay. Oh, you want me to give? Nah. And so we don't follow God's principles for peace. And then we get mad because we think because we got saved that, that the Holy Spirit's like prancing around like a, riding his unicorn and sprinkling peace dust all over us. <laughs> and then we're mad because it's not working. And I'm just telling you, man, it's not working because you're not submitted to him as Lord. Not submitted to him as Lord. I practiced prancing this week for that. <laughs> so let's shift gears look one more scripture Acts 10 36 this is the message of good news for the people of Israel that there is peace with God how through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all in other words when he's Lord we can have peace when Jesus Christ is Lord of all in our life, peace becomes available to us. Check this out. The root word for the word principle, and that's what we're talking about today, principles of peace, is prince. We're talking about the prince of peace. So here's my statement to you today. If Jesus Christ is Lord, 
then let's define principles as the way of the Lord. When principles are violated, these principles that I'm going to give you, when they are violated, we remove ourselves from the covering that will bring us peace. We step, and I'm not talking about losing salvation at this point. I'm talking about there's this, there's this place where if we live within these, these boundaries and, and inside of these principles, we've, placed our, we've centered ourselves in the place where we can have God's peace in our lives. But we can walk out from under that covering. We can walk out from under the favor of God by choosing to do things our own way, still have a relationship with him, but be lacking in the area of peace. And I really believe that's where some of us are today. You love God, you really do, but you're not submitted to him as Lord, and so there's no peace. The peace is missing. So what's the goal? I want to find peace. How? I'm going to follow the principles. What are they? Let's get into them. Here's the first one, the principles of peace. And by the way, here's the fine print. It's actually not fine print. This is the bold, this is the bold print. These principles for peace, they're an all-or-nothing deal. So you can have all but one of them working in your life, and if that one isn't working, you'll be lacking peace. So we, what we want to do is get in ourselves in a place where we have all of these principles of peace operating in our life. You ready? You ready to hear what they are? Yeah. All right, here we go. Here's the first one. Number one, obedience. Obedience. Now, I knew this would happen. Nobody, nobody, I grew up in a Pentecostal, charismatic church. People would shout, go crazy, speak in tongues, roll around on the floor over anything except the word obedience. <laughs> nobody ever amens obedience. Even, you know, even when you're a kid, you're just like, you'll want to talk about any topic but obedience. It just doesn't, because obedience is all about submission. It's all about obeying, about doing what someone else is telling us to do. Obedience is simply this. I'm going to let him tell me how to do it, and I'm going to follow his ways. Period. I recently had um, my wife, a couple months ago, she came home, walked through the door. She looked a little frustrated. I said, what's up? She said, I got pulled over. I said, you, you, you're crazy. You don't know how to drive, woman. <laughs> I did not say that. I'm just kidding. I would not be here today talking to you if I said that. No, I said, so, why? What happened? She said, our tags are expired. I said, we didn't get anything in the mail telling us to renew. Thank you. Thank you. She said, yeah, the police officer told me that. Delaware stopped sending out notices. Our tags have been expired since July. <laughs> Like, oh, well, that's awesome. So I went down to that, you know, that wonderful place where the rapture will probably happen, the, the DMV. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you got to drive through the inspection thing. So I go through that. I get to the, the end of it. I'm, I'm almost home free. And the guy says, all right, you're good, except you have a taillight out and a brake light out. And I didn't even realize. I, the police officer could have told us that. And um, if you're here, police officer, I'm, I love you. Um, so, turned out my car had like an issue with a socket, and it took several weeks to get a part ordered and to get it all figured out and get everything working so we could go back to inspection. So, for a number of weeks, we still needed both cars. So, we, 
we kept driving it, you know. <laughs> we kept dri- but here's what would happen. Anytime we had to drive that car anywhere, you you can't now you can't drive in peace. Because you're constantly looking for, all right, is there a police officer coming up? Is there one behind me? So the peace is gone, right? Because because it, it, let me give you this. Some of you have done this. How many of you ever, you've been in a hurry to get somewhere, you're running late, and so you drive significantly above the speed limit because you're trying. I mean, now a lot of us speed a little, but like when you're in a hurry and you're really, like, I know nobody here does that ever, right? Come on. You know, when you're doing that, when you're driving at that pace, what happens? You're on the lookout. You're looking for the lights. You're looking for any hint of a police car. So, why? You can't have, you don't have any peace while you're driving when you know you're breaking. Why? Because you know you're in disobedience to the law. And anytime we're in disobedience, the peace goes away. And in the areas of finances, in the areas of our money, in the areas of our stuff, when we don't obey God's will and God's plan for our life, we remove ourselves from the opportunity to live in peace. It's the same as driving the car with a bad tag. The peace is gone. I know in my life, maybe you don't have this happen, but in my life, when God impresses something on me, a direction or a, an instruction, hey, you need to make this change or lead the church in this direction or, or so-and-so, you need to have a conversation about this. And Sometimes there's confrontation involved in those things, and I don't enjoy that. But anytime, what I've noticed, what I've learned is I better be obedient quickly to his leading, because anytime I wait, anytime I wrestle, anytime I procrastinate, I feel like the anxiety level goes up and the peace goes away. Why? Because the longer I wait, the longer I'm in disobedience to what God has asked me to do. And obedience is one of the most important pieces of the puzzle when we're trying to position ourselves for peace. Living immorally will rob your peace, and money is the same thing. When we're faithful to the standards God has set for us and pass his test, the reward is peace. Now, I know it's saying fun, obedience ain't fun to talk about, but how many want the peace? Okay, nobody. How, come on, how many want the peace? You want the So if you, listen, they're just, they're connected. You can't have the peace without peace. The obedience. So I want to look at a scripture in Malachi. The entire book of Malachi is about the people of God not having peace. The peace and blessing is gone. And each chapter of Malachi is God speaking through the prophet and kind of peeling away the layers on different areas and saying, okay, in this area, Here's the problem. This is why you don't have peace. This is how you're disobeying me. Let me tell you how to fix it. And in this chapter, it's another thing. And in this chapter, and so what we're looking at is chapter three, which applies to the area of stuff and to the areas of money. And and listen to what it says. Uh, I'm gonna start at verse six. I think your notes start at verse eight. So just read along with me until it catches up. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you've scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. So God's saying, you don't like being obedient either. You're just like everybody else. Now return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? 
And God's response to them is kind of sounds kind of harsh. He says, should people cheat God? Another, another translation says, should people rob God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you, God? I mean, can you, I just picture the people. When did we cheat you? What did we do? And he says, you've cheated me of the tithes. By the way, the word tithe means a tenth. All right, so God has commanded us, and, and I, always, I, 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 always have, I love these. I actually love, this is one of the only debates that I enjoy, because I always have people say something to me like, well, that's an Old Testament, Old Covenant principle. And we're under the New Testament, the New Covenant. And they always talk like that, too. I don't, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. So, but here's what I'd say to you. Jesus himself said he didn't come to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill the law. And the old covenant, the old, by the way, old, the Old Testament is not one covenant. There are multiple covenants throughout the Old Testament. And, and God never does away with any of them. He just simply graduates them into the new one. So when we talk like that, we're actually talking like someone who doesn't read the whole Bible and understand it. The reason he protected all of his word, Old Testament and New Testament, and kept it whole for us in this time and place that we live in now is because he wanted us to have all of it. Not so we would sit there and go, I'm glad I get to read this for historical context, but really from this point on is all that applies to me. That's not true. It's not accurate. All right? And this idea of bringing a tenth, a tithe, happened long before any of the covenants that we like to talk about we talk, when we, most of us, when we say Old Testament, Old Covenant, we're thinking about what happened at the Ten Commandments and the, the covenant that was established with Moses. Well, the principle of tithing started long before that with Abraham. Before any of that was ever established, the principle of tithing was there. And we see the principle of tithing multiple times in the New Testament. So this principle exists all throughout Scripture, and we don't get to pick and choose pieces of Scripture that we think will apply to us and ones that won't because they make us more comfortable. If, if we're going to be obedient to God, church, we've got to be obedient to God in every area of our life or it doesn't work. Amen. amen. <laughs> I guess I'll amen. I don't really like that. but Should people cheat God, yet you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse. In other words, you don't have any peace, for your whole nation has been cheating me. So you maybe think, oh, Michael, that's the problem, see? It's not a big deal. It was the whole nation. The whole na- well, guess what? We have a problem in America. Do you want to know what the, the this one makes me want to puke. You want to know what the national percentages of churchgoers who tithe? 4%. Four, in other words, 96, 96, that's why we hired him, 96% of the people who go to church show up, love the music, love the worship, give me some preaching, feed me, feed me, feed me, oh, I love it, it makes me feel so good, 
But when it comes time to help be a partner and accomplish the mission so that we can reach more people, so that we can spread the gospel around the globe. Listen, when you give here, 10 cents on every dollar doesn't just go to what's happening here. It goes around the world. We had, we had over 20 pastors come over and hang out in an ark church from China so we could teach them ark principles and they could go plant churches in China where it's not even legal to plant churches. And we get to be a part of that church. Four percent of us do. Now, I, I think our percentages are probably higher in our church. Thank God, because <laughs> we wouldn't be here. But I can tell you, they're, they're not high enough. They're not high enough. You saying that to make me feel guilty? No, I just, I just want you to think about whether or not you have peace. And if you don't have peace, I want you to think about whether or not you're operating in obedience. And if you're not operating in obedience, maybe you should try it so that you can have peace. And look what happens. Here's the result. Bring the tithes in the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. In other words, if you'll just be faithful in this one area, if you'll pass the test, I want to bless you with so much stuff you have to give more away because you can't use it all. How many would like to live that kind of life? He says, try it. I love this. Try it. Put me to the test. That's God speaking to us, church. Try it. Put me to the test. I love my daughter, my little girl, when there's a new food and we want her to try it because she's really I mean, there, there is a very limited number of foods that she will eat and that she likes. And so we'll say, Sarah, try it. Try it. Just try it. And she'll say, well, will I like it? And we say, and we're honest with her. Sometimes we go, I don't know. You might. But then other times we know. <laughs> yes, you're going to love it. And so she'll try it. She'll be like, oh. So, hey, hey, children of God, you know what? You know what he is saying to us as a church about giving and giving a tenth? He's saying, you're going to like it. Try it. I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds hard. I know it seems like a big piece of the budget. I know it seems like a big piece of the pie. But the God of the universe is saying to you, try it. You're going to like it. It's going to taste good. You, he says, your crops will be abundant for, for all of you farmers. For our, I'll guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed. Come on, how many would like your neighbors and your coworkers to look at you and just be able to tell you're blessed? Wouldn't that be fun? For your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's army. Try it. Try it. I, I want to I help you with something, all right? Because anytime you talk about this topic in church, there's always a group of people who, for whatever reason, maybe you've, maybe you've been wounded in the past, maybe you've seen a, a finances abused in the past, maybe you've watched too many TV preachers. And so there's always a group of people who think, he just wants the money. The church is all about money. There's an agenda. There's an agenda there somewhere. I'm about to make all of our trustees have an accident because 
here's what I will do. Here's what I'll say to you to prove that there's no agenda here. By the way, we practice it as a church. We tithe as a church. And we expect it from any leadership within our church. It's the only people that we inspect in terms of giving. We would never hire a paid staff member who did not give regularly, ever. We would, Because my thought is, if you're going to take some out of the pool, you better put some in the pool. We don't allow anyone on the stage or in a position of, of leadership that's visible who, that's because we believe in this principle. We don't talk about it that much because it makes pe- people get weird when you talk about money and it freaks them out. And I figure y'all weird shopping for the holidays anyway, so now's a good time. <laughs> but, but people get, they get kind of uptight about this topic. So here's the proof. Last time I did this, we said eight weeks. I'm gonna up the ante a little bit. You tithe. If you've never done it, you tithe. You give 10% to God. And if you, don't, if you think there's an agenda here and you're turned off today, you go find another church and you tithe there and you be a part. But if you're here and you stay here, this deal doesn't apply if you go somewhere else. But if you stay here and you tithe for a year, 12 months, you start right now, you tithe for a year and you get to December of next year and you go, Michael, God hasn't come through for me. My life's not any richer. My life's not blessed. You lied to me. We'll refund you every penny. We'll give it back to you. Might have to make payments, but we will refund every penny. We will give it back to you. Because there's no agenda here. You know why I'm teaching this to you today? Because it's in the Bible, and my responsibility is to teach you everything that's in the Bible. That's my job. My job is not to make sure everybody likes me. I like it when everybody likes me. I feel a lot better when everybody likes me. But at the end of the day, I'm going to stand before God, and he's not going to say, did everybody like you? He's going to say, did you teach the word? Did you equip the saints for the work of ministry? I hate as much as you do what some people in my profession have done to get money out of people. It drives me crazy. But I don't know how else to say it to you except that's not here. It's not here. And obedience is important. All right, obedience, that's the first one. Here's the second principle for peace. It's contentment. Contentment. Nobody amends that one either. <laughs> Obedience. Ah! Contentment. Woo! <laughs> can, can I just tell you, man, the, the, the entitlement piece that's happening in our culture right now. I don't care where you fall on the political spectrum, but there, you, you can't deny there's something happening in our culture that's very dangerous. There's an attitude developing in our culture that basically says this, I should get to live at a standard of living that I never earned. And it's because we're not talking enough about what it means to be content. We're not talking enough about contentment. You know what contentment means? It just means to be satisfied. Satisfied. We teach our daughter when when she's eating early on, it was really really cute, really funny when she was little. When you're eating, you don't want to eat till you're full. Just eat till you're satisfied. If you eat till you're full, you're overeating. Just eat till you're And so it was actually really funny because my household growing up, we used the word full all the time. So I would sometimes at dinner, I'd say, have you had enough, Sarah? Are you full? And she'd say, no, but I'm satisfied. <laughs> Sat- we need to learn how to be satisfied. Look at Philippians 4.12. Paul says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. 
I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And I think the problem many of us face today is that we've trained ourselves in dissatisfaction. Instead of looking at our lives and counting the blessings, we look at our lives and we're constantly evaluating what do we want more of. I mean, I, 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 I know. I've got, a, I've got a decent TV in my house. It's several generations behind, but it's big enough and it's fun enough to watch football on. But I, but I know there, there are people who I've met and I don't know what the next thing's going to be. It's, it's probably a TV that comes with surgical implants that go on the back of your eyeballs, so it's like you step into the universe of whatever it is you're watching, and it wraps around you. I, I don't know what the next thing is, but we've, we've, we've changed the definition of the word need. And so whatever the new thing is, we don't say, God, that'd be kind of fun to have maybe, but I'm content, I'm satisfied. Whatever the newest, latest, greatest thing is, we, put the, we attach the word need. I need that. And need. It'd be like me standing up here saying, I need a million dollars. Why do you need a million dollars? Because the new Xbox is out, and I want another TV, and I, my house, I'd like, to, uh, we, I'd like a bigger one. Well, you don't, you don't need all those things, do you? No. We've, we've redefined what need is, and we don't know what it means to be content anymore Our culture specializes in dissatisfaction. But I think we need to be more like Paul who said, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. How do we do that? I think it's just a daily attitude adjustment. Every day of our lives, we've got to get better at at looking at life and going, do I I really? Actually, I've got it pretty good. I'm pretty blessed. Do you know if you make more than $40,000 a year, which I know a lot of you students, you're not at that level yet, but you'll be there quicker than you think. If you make $40,000 a year or more, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. In the world. So the problem is many of us are far richer than we think we are. We just don't know how to live like rich people. We don't know how to do it. We need to learn how to be content. I love Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. First, <coughs> help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I go rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Let's be people of contentment so we can find peace. We need obedience. We need contentment. Number three, we need generosity. Generosity is one of the principles of peace. Yeah, come on, somebody. Now you're starting to get it. Obedience. Contentment, generosity. All right, now, now up until now, every time we've talked about generosity, I've talked about it for the benefit of the person you're giving to, but I want to flip, the, I want to flip it around here for just a second. I want us to be just a little bit selfish because being generous is actually good for you. Giving away as much as you can is actually good for you. In fact, there are several medical studies over the last several years that have come out that suggest that generous people are healthier than ungenerous people. It's, it, the Bible says it's better to give. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act 
of giving. And if I think any scripture in the Bible applies to True Life Church today, I believe it might be this one. There are so many areas, church, that we excel in, and God is doing so many things, but I'm worried at times that we don't really understand how powerful it is to be generous. And I don't want to have a culture here that's selfish or inward-focused. In fact, I, I just simply won't allow it. If I ever felt our church was turning inward, I would, I would, I'd turn the whole place upside down. I'd do whatever it would take until we get it back on track. It's so important that we understand the power of generosity, and I want us to excel as a church in this area. Psalms 112, verse 5, good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Proverbs eleven twenty five: the generous will prosper. I mean, just, just go on that, man. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. We need obedience. We need contentment. We need generosity. Here's the fourth one, integrity. Integrity. <laughs> Here's why we need integrity. It's really simple, because God is watching every action. And I told you last week, every dollar that we spend has one of two spirits on it. It's either God's or the enemy's. Money is not unrighteous or righteous. It's what you do with it that determines whether it's unrighteous or righteous. Proverbs 20, 23, the Lord detests double standards. He's not pleased by dishonest scales. You know what, if I had to just define integrity, you know what I would call it? I would just say it's meticulous honesty. Meticulous honesty. And we need that. We need that in our lives. With our finances, we need to be meticulously honest. We can't afford to just, just make it up as we go and and not be able to give a reason or an explanation for the things that we do and where the money we spend goes. I like what Jeff always says to me. He says, I want to spend every dollar on purpose before I spend it. I want to know, did I get that right? Okay. He's like, eh. Next time you can come up here. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians 8.21. We're careful to be honorable before the Lord, but we also want everyone to see, everyone else to see that we're honorable. In other words, integrity matters because God's watching and people are watching. It matters. Obedience, contentment, generosity, integrity. And here's the last one. Chad, you can come up. And here's the problem with the last one is it kind of flies in the face of who we are as a country and as a culture because we even have an entire day on July 4th to celebrate what? Our independent, we are independent people. We, we talk, I want to be financially independent. I want to stand on my own two feet. And I would say those are healthy goals unless you take God out of the picture because this is the fifth principle. We have to have dependence. My days start and stop with a prayer where I acknowledge my dependence on God. Because without him, I am nothing and I have nothing. Even if I had everything I had in this, that this world had to offer, if I don't have it with him, I don't have anything. I don't have anything of value. 
You want to know why I think we have something happening right now that's kind of scary? Why we have like 30-year-olds still living in their parents' basements? Their whole movie, remember that movie, Failure to Launch? It's it's actually more real than we would like to admit. You want to know why I think that's happening? Because we haven't taught dependence very well. I want to raise my kids up to understand. Listen, Ben, listen, Sarah, listen, listen, baby girl, you better depend on God. Because nothing else is guaranteed. Nothing else is promised. Put your dependence. Too many of us, we're depending on the paycheck. We're depending on the job. We're depending on a specific relationship. You you want to know the test of where your dependence really lies? It's whatever you run to when the pressure's on. And if you don't run to Jesus when the pressure's on, you're not depending on Jesus. It's that simple. And we've got to be people who depend completely on God. John 16, 24 says, You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you'll receive, and you'll have abundant joy. James 4.2 describes our current culture so well. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Hey, young people, you can do all the you can do all the demonstrations in the streets that you want. You can picket the corporations. You can wave your signs. You can talk about the evil rich people. But you really want to fix the problem? Just get dependent on God. Just put your dependence on Him. Now, I'm, not saying it's, I'm not saying it's wrong to point out injustices. It's not, it's not what I'm saying. But it's that culture of dissatisfaction. We want to put all of our energy into finding out what's wrong with everything else around us instead of just taking the time to settle in and depend on the one who has the answer to all of it. We've got to be dependent on him. It's got to happen. Would you close your eyes this morning? I just want to ask you a simple question. Is Jesus Christ your prince? Is he really in charge? Are you following the principles? Not one or two of them, all of them. Even when times aren't desperate, are you following them? Maybe you're in a season of blessing. I'll tell you, living in these principles is as important now as when you're not living in blessing. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you've never had a moment where you declared your dependence on God. You've never had that conversation with Him to establish the relationship with the Lord. We call that salvation. You can have that today, right now. And if that's you this morning, you say, I need that. I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't have it and I want to start it today. Would you just hold your hand up real quick, quickly. Hold it up. I see it. Anyone else? I see it. Anyone else? Good job. I see it. Awesome. 
Awesome. I'm going to lead you in a quick prayer. The whole church is going to repeat after me. We're going to say this prayer with you. You can use my words or you can change it and make it your own. The important thing is that you mean it from the bottom of your heart because you're going to start a relationship with the God of the universe today. It's going to be the best decision you've ever made. I need you to do one very important thing after you pray this prayer, and that's grab the connection card in the cup holder next to you. Give us your name and, and info and check that box that says, I gave my heart to Jesus today. We won't show up at your house. We won't stalk you. We just want to send you an email and give you some guidance on the next steps in your walk with Christ. So let's say this prayer. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I need you, and I declare my dependence on you. Come into my heart. Save me. Rescue me from the sin and from the mistakes of my life. I believe you died for me and you rose again. And from this day on, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. You're the one in charge of my life. In your name I pray. Amen. Come on, Heaven's Bigger Church, let's give God the thanks this morning.